what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table from me on the other mic is Christopher Fry, who co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Festival and Foot Candle Film Society and this Foot Candle Films podcast. How are you yes, doing, Chris? I'm doing well. I'm uh, looking forward to... got two very different movies, but two uh, movies that do have one thing in common in that they're part of a franchise. So the, Oh, good point. Yeah, it'd be good interesting point. to talk about both. Very different, though. Yeah, so we are going to jump into a couple of films we'll be reviewing today on this show. Uh, this is our film review and discussion show, as you probably have gathered by the intro and setup here. <laughs> we will be reviewing two films that are new films that have just been released in the last week or two. First up will be the latest in the Michael Myers saga. Is it the last one? I don't know. We'll find out and see as we review Halloween Ends. Then we'll be moving into a review of... Uh, an interesting franchise that has come uh, uh, woken up after gosh, how many years has it been? Has well, been thirty years? Uh, maybe I'm not probably I'm not sure, about thirty some years, yeah. but it is the latest in the Fletch franchise. A Fletch franchise movie has come back upon us. It is Confess Fletch, starring John Hamm. We'll be reviewing shortly as well. After that, we're going to have a couple of movie news announcements and items to share in the in the world of uh, making movies, some interesting projects we've been following that we want to talk about a little bit. We actually have a couple trailers we're going to be uh, uh, showcasing and talking about here in the show as well, of some new movies coming up in the next couple of months. And then Chris and I will end up the show with our recommendations. Chris and I each give a recommendation of a film or piece of media content related to film that we want to uh, highlight and showcase for everybody and give us a recommendation. So Chris, it's a full show, lots to do. Let's get right into it with our first review of the film Halloween Ends. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. Hello. With Halloween Ends, we have what's touted as the final installment of the newest Halloween trilogy. This is starts to get confusing, so I'm just <laughs> going to back up a little bit here. There have been many Halloween movies. I want to say nine, eleven. I don't know somewhere, somewhere in that, in that somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood. Uh, they have run the gamut between. The original ones with John Carpenter, then there was kind of an odd third movie that uh, season of the witch that kind of broke formula came back for a fourth one. I think it did like a fourth, fifth, sixth, and maybe seventh one. H2O. Yeah, that was mixed in there somewhere. I don't remember exactly (laughs) where. (laughs) Rob Zombie even took a crack at a couple of them as well. But now we've come back around. I think it was 2018. You had Halloween, just titled Halloween. And it was by uh, David Gordon Green, director, mm-hmm. and with some support from uh, who's his producing partner? 
Um, Danny McBride. Yeah, Danny McBride uh, working on it as well. So they came back, did one in 2018 that was uh, fairly, fairly well respected and reviewed. Yeah, and I think, so. I think you know, people seem to enjoy it, but it was touted as the first of a trilogy. You and I reviewed Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. Last and year, Halloween ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did Halloween. No, I'm saying the, the yes. second one. Yes. The, the second one, which was the sequel to Halloween. Yeah, you and I talked about Halloween. Yeah. Halloween Kills came out last year. I think that's right. Uh, I'm very clear in my belief that I did not care for that movie. Um, I think you had a better opinion of it, but it was still flawed, still had some issues. So I'm trepidatious going into Halloween Ends because hmm. I'm already on kind of a low. I'm already ready to not like this movie or feel like if it's going to keep dropping the ball in my mind, that that, that, that this is going to be a bad review. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Halloween ends. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, once again, starring as Laurie Strode, um, meant to follow up on the, uh, the events of Halloween kills. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. I don't know how much of this we want to go into and really, tip off exactly what does transpire in this film, Chris. I mean, I think we can, yeah, I think we can talk about it. Without I think we can talk generally yeah, at this point. So. Now the bulk of the film. I, yeah. I think we can talk about it. So Chris, with all that setup sure. being said, how did Halloween end for <laughs> you? So, you know, there I've been thinking about it cause I watched the film the weekend it came out. So I've had a little bit of time. Um, I think this may be, I'd have to like really go back and analyze, which, you know, who knows, has time for that. Every movie that's ever come out, I don't have time for that. But this may be the first for me, a first for me in that a sequel to a sequel actually redeems the series. Okay. Mm. I hope people can follow that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, you know, if you take David Gordon Green's Halloween, liked it. Halloween Kills, I didn't think it all worked, but I thought he was trying something interesting, but I didn't think it all worked. And I was a little higher on it than you were. And then with Halloween ends, it kind of took the tone and some of the themes that were a bit of a mess in Halloween kills. And I felt like after watching Halloween ends, I was like, okay, I kind of see what I think, you know, I think you were doing. And I actually went back and rewatched Halloween kills again and I liked it a little more because I thought as a piece of this three-part trilogy, it kind of it kind of fell into place. And it made me appreciate the flaw of, like I said, it made me appreciate the flaw of film a little more. And I like how well the series was well ended by ends. Um, that being said, I think I benefit from the fact that other than the David Gordon Green films that we reviewed here on the show and the original Halloween by John Carper. That's 1978 or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Other than that, those are the only Halloween films I've seen. So I'm not a huge devotee of Michael Myers or the shape or whatever you want to call him. I'm, you know, I just, so the only thing that made me interested in seeing these films when they came out was the fact that Gordon Green was attached. I was like, Oh, he's going to do a horror movie. Okay. Um, so I liked it, but I think true like horror fans that only go see like Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween films or, you know, The Ring, all the, all those type films. Yeah, I can imagine because it's something we'll probably get into. They are not, I'll just say it's the Cody problem. <laughs> and I don't think it's a problem, but I can see how it's problematic for some because they're just like, who, why, why are you doing this? And my answer to that is because... He's not trying to make Halloween three seasons of the way. You know, he's, he's trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. Like it or hate it, I say, 
you know, think of it that he's trying to do something different. Halloween. He, he said kinda, it was the what problem? The I think, but, but I think I got his name right. Let me see what his name is. Hold on. There's a new character. Oh, in this film. oh, oh, the character's name. Corey. I'm Corey. sorry, not Cody. The Corey. The problem with, with Corey. Right. And gotcha. I don't have a problem with it. Um, and I I've, I've watched this film twice. I watched it once with my daughter and once with my son. Interestingly enough, there again, daughter hasn't seen. I think has seen the other two Halloween movies, but wasn't a fan of either one. Never seen the original, doesn't really care, but sat and watched this with me and I kind of convinced her to, and she was actually like, you know, that was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And my son, I think is more of a you know Halloween fan a little, a little bit. And he was just like, yeah, I, I liked Halloween. I did not like Halloween kills. And I really didn't like, mm-hmm. it was the lowest of the three and it, it was the Corey problem for him. And I'm like, well, we, and we're going to have so, to get into exactly what sure. the Corey problem so that, yeah, is. So, I've yeah. kind of babbled on a little bit. What, yeah. What's your take on everything? Um, yeah, I like this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had a good time with now. This do movie. you think it would increase your opinion of Halloween Kills? Po- possibly a okay. little bit. I still think Halloween Kills. I mean, honestly, Halloween Kills after watching this is inconsequential. I see. I mean, and even more so. I mean, I've realized that watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, I didn't really. Nobody really needs to watch. With the exception of one character at the very end, what happens to her, there's really no other, I don't feel like, reason to watch Kills because it doesn't do anything to the story overall. It maybe sets the tone and the mood and sets up the the framework of the city, but of the town, but I just don't think it really has that much of an impact. So um, if anything, it just made me feel like that film was very inconsequential. So I'm less mad at it, Hmm. that second film, but... Um, so I guess you could say it did raise my opinion a little bit. If it sure. made me less mad about the film than I was before. Um, now Halloween ends, I think is, I think is really kind of good. I think it's <laughs> fun. I think it's interesting. Sure. I think, uh, you know, it, you were alluding to the, the Corey problem. And yes. I guess let's just go ahead and get out what that, what that sure. is when we talk about that. This film takes a, a little bit for it being the third film in a trilogy mm-hmm. where you would expect kind of a third film that's supposed to be the end of the whole saga. And it's going to be, you know, Laurie against Michael Myers. That's kind right. of what everybody's expecting it to be. Sure. For the first 30 minutes of this film, uh, we're pretty much talking about Corey. Yep. Um, almost not exclusively, but definitely the whole setup, the whole first 10, 15 minutes pre credits is all about Corey. Corey, we learn is a, New character, never been in any of these films before. Right. He's a, uh, a, a resident of, of uh, the town. He uh, gets called in to be a, a uh, ad hoc babysitter. Uh, a tragedy befalls that situation while he's there at that house, and it kind of brands him as a outcast in the community and uh, possibly a killer. You know, people just have all these opinions of him. And he becomes a someone we follow for the, the duration of the film. He interacts with... Laurie Strode and Laurie Strode's granddaughter and some relationships build from that. Um, so it's interesting. I think people are upset that here on the third film, this final trilogy, you introduce a brand new character out of the blue and have so much of the film carried on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. I am okay with that. And I <laughs> liked the Corey character. Yeah. I liked Rohan Campbell. I thought he was really good. I Never seen was- anything else. He was good. Yeah. He was a, 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 he was an interesting character. I liked following him. Um, I liked uh, his development, character development, I guess we'll say as the film goes sure. along. Um, 
He's, and I like. We'll how, say he's troubled. He is troubled. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I like how it wove into the greater Halloween mythos mm-hmm. by the latter half of the film. So, um, yeah. I, I let me let me say a few more things about the film. I think that sure. worked really well. Um, I think this was the most creative of the three from a David Gordon Green director standpoint. Yes, I thought visually. I thought just the tone. I think everything was very. There was a lot more, I felt like a lot more, uh, it seemed to be a lot more creativity and a little more passion put into this project, into mm-hmm. this particular one. Okay. There are some sequences I thought were really cool. There's a dance club sequence between <laughs> the two characters, uh, between uh, Corey and Allison, which is uh, Laurie Strode's granddaughter, played by Andy Matichek, which I thought was just really cool. It had a very kind of independent vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um there's some, I mean, there's a lot of uh, budding romance scenes and dialogues and moments that are very kind of had a very indie feel to them. I don't know. It just, mm-hmm. it worked. I mean, yeah. I, I just think it was a, a, a much more of the creative of the three films. Um, there are some shots and some scenes involving a sewer mm-hmm. that I thought were just visually kind of really interesting and kind of fun. And just, you know, I just think that there was more care taken into this film than I felt like I saw in the previous two. Definitely more than what I saw in the previous one. Sure. And it's something um, my daughter actually kind of said after we finished watching it. And like I said, she liked it. But she's like, you know, it reminds me a lot of It. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, interesting. And so, yeah, the way um, It is, you know, the town of Derry in that movie kind of has this like sense of evil. And in Haddonfield, that's kind of like if you could say it was like, yeah, let's make a trilogy and make Michael Myers kind of a – an entity or whatever, or a being that's like because of like an evilness in this town and like how the town responds to it and how it kind of perpetuates it. And so, yeah, and there's a sewer in this and there's a sewer in it. So mm-hmm. um, they have that similarity too. I mean, it's doing different things, but I thought that was, it's, it was kind of an interesting framework to kind of take with a horror franchise rather than just making the only thing different about this movie is Michael Myers kills different people. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I think I would have been kind of a little restless and bored with that. And now does it pay off on the Laurie Strode, uh, Michael Myers kind of confrontation, which has to happen. I mean, sure. there would have been riots in the street if that had not happened <laughs> well, in this final film. And that was kind of a disappointment for Halloween kills was that basically she was in the hospital the whole time. Yeah. I don't so, think they really like, had any like encounter at all. Right. Yeah. And, there, and I think I think the ending paid off. I thought it was good. I thought it was solid. I thought it was a uh, a fairly brutal confrontation. I thought it ended the way it needed to end, and I felt very satisfied with that ending. Um, and I'm not going to spoil this, but I will say, talking about that ending, there is a a moment where if you had told me on paper, if you had described it to me, I would have said, Oh my gosh, that sounds ridiculously over the top and cheesy, (laughs) but it worked somehow at the end, by the end of this film. And I think maybe because of the whole trilogy building up to this moment, the town and their kind of the actions they take at the very end when, when things have come to a finale. Mm -hmm. So again, if you had told me, if you had described it to me and not shown it to me, I would have said it sounded horrible and it could have been horrible, but it actually worked in this film. I think because of what they've built up over the last two with the personality of this town and the people that live there. So, um, yeah, overall I, I liked it. Now look, there's some, there's some real gaps in logic. Oh, I think there's some things story wise that are just really kind of 
stitched together just to make a plot work. But I, I was okay. I was, I, 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 w- I was able to let those kind of slide. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to understand starting out in the beginning of the movie that even though um, Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie, who she's very good in this movie. Yeah, sure. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie, even though she had bunkered herself up for like 40 years yes. uh, before Michael Myers came back. Somehow after Michael Myers just brutally murdered her daughter in the last film, she's now flipped a switch and decided she's going to be positive. Didn't quite understand that. Don't quite buy it, but okay. Um, we'll roll with it because that's, that needs to make the rest of the plot work. Well, and I um, think, yeah. And I, I agree. That does seem very abrupt, mm-hmm. but if you think about it, this film is supposed to take place four years after. Sure. And I think because of what happened, I granted, I'm, you know, <laughs> I am a Halloween kills apologist on this episode. But in Halloween Kills, she sees kind of like the dangers of mob mentality and how people can't like. So it's like maybe a reaction. She's like, okay, I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to try to flip a switch. I'm going to try to turn a page because I lived that way for 40 years. And all it did was like drive me crazy and drive my family away or whatever. So, yeah, maybe. But yeah, I agree. It It is. It's kind of hard to take. I understand. It was a little bit, a little bit of a stretch there. Sure. Um, I've heard some complaints that. Michael Myers, which I can rationalize in this, that, that Michael <laughs> Myers in this film, uh, but by the way, we never talk about the person playing Michael Myers, the shape, but James Jude Courtney, uh, I think has been playing him in the last several movies here. He, he but he's not always played. Him. I don't think always. Okay. I want to say maybe he was in the zombie films, um, okay. possibly, okay. but, um, um, uh, that he was kind of easy and not as, uh, Strong, not as brutal, uh, kind of almost a much easier pushover kind of thing in this in film. These film. Okay. In this film, this okay. particular film, this gotcha. one film. And I've, I've got kind of my argument for that. I do think we're seeing one that I think we're seeing a Michael Myers that's, I mean, it's been four years since his last spree. I think he's, I think he's aging. I think mm-hmm. he is kind of losing a little bit of his, his, his fervor. Right. Um, and that gives an opportunity for another character like Corey to kind of be able to play a more dominant role. So um, I'm okay with, I mean, the criticisms I can kind of write off and excuse, but I do agree. Yeah. It's some flimsy writing in some places to make this plot work. Um, I know my son watched this film with me. I've seen it twice as well. And uh, um, his complaint mainly was he didn't feel the relationship between Corey and Allison. It seemed, it was very odd because didn't understand how Allison fell for this guy so quickly when, because he took his glasses off at one point, he doesn't have glasses anymore. And that makes anybody attractive. That's that's the way to make anybody. Just get contacts. There you go. (laughs) That's the lesson. (laughs) And I agree. If you really think about it, it's like, yeah, it was kind of quick for them to fall together and her to be a little blind to things. But yet I also feel like, you know, she's also been corrupted by this town somewhat to believe that, you know we need to burn this town down because there's just too much evil here, too much bad. And here's somebody else who feels the same way I do. Anyway, there's some criticisms there, but overall I thought I liked the fact that it was different than I expected. I liked the fact that it, I think it just had a lot more creative vision to this film than, than I've seen in the previous ones. And uh, I think everybody was, was uh, bringing their a game performance wise. So I, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I'm on the same page. I'll, I'll say something as well. That's kind of a stupid positive, but I thought it was cool. Um, the pumpkin credits at the beginning. Yeah. You know, they like do those. a little, so like last time, a lot of them were just burning. And this time it was kind of like they were morphing into one another, but they were kind of 
going back into the final pumpkin is like, a, hasn't been carved into a jack-o'-lantern yet. And so I thought that was kind of, well, but, and that last and, one and kind of crack, cracks open. It's and like then, all guts and yeah, stuff. And yeah. It's using those kind of that pumpkin goo to kind of as a textured background, right. which again, right when I saw that, I'm like, okay, all right, we're, <laughs> we're trying to do, we're trying to go a little, little visually creative with this. I like this. Let's, let's see where it goes. And I do think that was kind of the, the mood by the end of the film for me as well. Um, I, I could see how some people who much, much more horror purists are going to be disappointed with this. It does try to pack in some really uh, violent, gross kills in the latter half of the film, mm-hmm. last 30, 40 minutes. Right. does pack them in. Um, I still don't think the film is as brutal as maybe previous ones have been, but it does pack in what it needs to. And that last, just to give the fans what they, <laughs> sure. what they're looking for there. Um, but yeah, I like this film a lot. I was, uh, I was impressed with it overall. Yeah. And I, I will say like, I don't really have any interest in seeing any other, like I'm sure if this one makes enough money, there probably will be more Halloween films, but I doubt I'll have any interest unless some other like auteur director comes in and, and makes it. Um, I've lamented on air about David Gordon Green's next project that he's decided to do. And he's going to work on like, I don't know if it's a sequel or if it's going to be kind of be the same mentality on this film as he did with the Halloween stuff, but he's going to make the exorcist. Um, And I, I, you know, before having seen this and now that I've seen this trilogy, I was like, you know, I wish he'd just go back and do something original like Joe or Prince Avalanche, you know, more of his independent, you know, non sequel Mm -hmm. type stuff or non franchise stuff. But I have to say, after this story arc with Halloween, I might would be tempted. I probably will end up seeing his exorcist just mm-hmm. because, you know, like, well, I gave those a chance. And like, kind of like the exorcist, the only one I've seen is the first one. So I haven't seen the other things mm-hmm. that he's done. So I don't know. He he might be able to pull some. And I get it right now. Horror is apparently what sells. Like, yeah. you know, so we'll see. It does. Yeah. Well, that's Halloween ends. I I, uh, I think we're both coming away kind of, for me at least, surprisingly positive. Um, I've seen this movie twice, like I right. told you. I mean, yeah. and that was kind of by choice, you know, which was <laughs> kind of interesting. So sure. not something I could say never normally happens with a horror film. But uh, but I also understand its divisiveness out there. And it is getting a lot of a lot of negative pushback in a lot of places right good, now. So. Good for him. He's like, you know what? This is what we're going to make. And. Well, like, just on like a, it or hate it. whether or not you believe some of this PR publicity notes about the filmmaking, but supposedly the actor who is playing Corey again, I, I, this is his first big thing. I mean, okay. he got this role supposedly when he got the role, he did not realize that the role was going to be quite so large throughout oh, really? the film as it was. And supposedly uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and David Gorgory both had talks with Ron Campbell and saying, look, people are probably going to hate <laughs> what you're doing in this film. So just and be aware, just be aware, be prepared for that. Oh, you good. know, we're on, we support you. We're on board with oh, you. That's awesome. Just anyway, huh. that was supposedly what the messaging was, is that they all knew right. there are going to be a lot of fans who are not going to like where this film is going. So, huh. uh, at least they're, if that's true, at least that's... they're acknowledging it and they were, they were aware of it and they decided to still push forward and make this film, which ultimately hmm. I think this is a film that's going to stand a better test of time. I think over time, I think it'll have more appreciation than maybe what it is right now from fans. So sure. Anyway. All right. That's Halloween ends directed by J- David Gordon green. It's both on Peacock where you can stream it there as well as still playing in theaters as well. All right, Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is the film confess Fletch. 
Hi, Frank. Where are you right now? None of your business. Come on, Fletch. Aren't you bored? I need you for a story. I got that police report you wanted. I just emailed it to you. It's encrypted. Uh, what's the password? Go ask yourself. Back in September, I received a critic screening link for Confess Fletch. I had to double check the date and make sure I hadn't somehow slipped into the first day of April 2023. And this was a studio's idea of a grand April Fool's Day joke. Uh, You know, a a sequel in the Fletch series of films had been made. It had been like 30-something years since the last one with John Hamm in the lead. I was like, what? But after checking the date, I then guessed that, no, this project was flying under the radar because, oh, it was probably a stinker of a film that all involved were hoping nobody would notice. Well, I watched the film. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Alan, what was your experience with the film of Confess Fletch? And am I alone in my befuddlement as to why this film's promotion was non-existent? All right. So starting first, uh, my thoughts on Confess Fletch. Well, let's, let's, let's just kind of back up and let me, let me give a little synopsis. Sure. Just for people who are not familiar with the film. So uh, Fletch, this is based on a... Uh, Gregory McDonald series of novels back from, I believe the seventies. I think that's right. Anyway, Chevy chase was the one who you got familiar who did Mm -hmm. played Fletch in both Fletch and Fletch lives back in the Mm -hmm. eighties. So it has been, like I said, in this setup at least 30 years since, since the last one. Uh, This is Greg Matola directing this as well as writing the screenplay based on the novel confess Fletch. Um, I, uh, you know, plot line, I mean, really, the plot is not terribly important here. I don't feel like, I mean, it's a murder mystery film. And, you know, it's one of those you either like the idea of following people as they're trying to explore a murder mystery or you don't. In this particular case, after becoming the prime suspect in multiple murders, Fletch strives to prove his innocence while simultaneously searching for his fiance's stolen art collection. I will say this about uh, Confess Fletch. I did like it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. Okay. Um, I think it's a very, it's a, it's a rarity for films these days and that it's a fairly, I don't want to say quiet film, but it's a fairly small, simple oh, film. Sure. It's, I mean, for it being a murder mystery, crime, comedy, drama, um, it's just a lot of people talking. <laughs> yeah. There's not like action, action. No, I think the biggest action scene has to do with firing fireworks off at a lake, if I remember (laughs) correctly. Yeah. It's, it's a very small understated film. It's under a hundred minutes. Yeah. It's a short film as well too. So I think all that to say, I did have a good time with this film. I've got some mixed feelings about it in general Hmm. in that, although I enjoyed it and I thoroughly enjoyed John Hamm, I do think John Hamm, is the right person to play this type of character. I always thought the Chevy chase version was, it was always about the comedy more than it was about the story. Mm, okay. Where it was more about how do I get to the next set bit bit so where I can, I can do a joke or do an impersonation or do something here. It's not really driven on that. It's driven on, you get to know Irwin M. Fletcher Fletch and you like spending time with him he's the kind of person where you can see why people are drawn to him. Mm-hmm. Um, they did let him be a good looking guy with John Ham. Sure. But the idea is that it's also supposed to be that Fletch is perceived by others as kind of an idiot. 
that's the part where I had a hard time kind of justifying who they wanted Fletch to be in this film because even though everybody kept talking about him being an idiot, he never did anything or showed any anything to me that looked idiotic at all. Actually, he's by the end of the film, super crazy smart and intelligent of what he's doing because he's managing a lot of different things going on in this film. So that was a, one thing I thought was just a little it was a little it was a little tough for me to kind of wrap my head around who they exactly wanted us to to believe Fletch is. Whoever he is, I like him. I liked spending time with him. I loved all the supporting cast. I thought they were all a lot of fun. Um, so overall, I did have a good time with this movie. Is John Hamm the perfect person for Fletch? Possibly, if I could just get a better handle on who who they want us to have Fletch be. It's a little odd kind of coming into a character that did have a preconceived notion of who that character was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so you got a lot of people who never saw those films and they're right. seeing this for the first time and that's fine. But I almost feel like this character needed a little bit more background for us to understand and appreciate him more. Hmm. But if you use the Chevy chase as the background, I don't think that's a fair, it's not a fair thing to, to judge him by now. So it's kind of just an odd situation. I just found myself by the end of the film, really liking John Hamm's performance, but also wondering who, who, who is Fletch, you know, and who are we supposed to think Fletch is? Because it did give us some, some different angles to him in this one film. Uh, all right. That all being said, I know you like this film. So I I, after seeing it a second time, give me some thoughts on it. Uh, you still feel pretty positive on it. Do you got some other things? Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm positive on it. I think certain, if I were to knock it for anything, I would say maybe certain, Certain machinations with the the mystery or the you know, the murmur maybe don't quite fit together, but I'm mm-hmm. like, that's not. I don't feel like that's what this is really right. after. I feel at at heart, this is supposed to be a comedy. Agreed. Um, what I appreciated about it, and I had seen the original Fletch films, but it had been years, um, and it was interesting in the audience that I watched it with because we screened it for our film society. About half the audience had seen the originals, and the other half had never seen the originals. So, and both sets of people liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. I thought that was interesting. Like, you can either have seen it, or you can just come into this cold and watch it and like it. I think, I think it is interesting that um, you're saying some of the hangups that you had about the Fletch character himself, maybe, and how they portrayed him. I guess my read on it, it did. I can see what you're saying. Um, it didn't bother me quite as much because I think instead of reading him as kind of an idiot, they read him as kind of an ass. And he, I think he is, but John Hamm is a likable jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think that's I know, I definitely like, got that. he's yeah. got charm. He's got charm for days and anything. And he, he kind of does know what he's doing obviously because he can do stuff. But at the end, all be all sometimes he doesn't see certain things, which not to spoil it in the plot, mm-hmm. but he can be duped because he's so high on himself. So it's not that he doesn't know how to be a detective or doesn't know how to like read people, but sometimes he doesn't because he's so like in his own brain about how handsome he is sure. or how or how suave he is that and he can come down on other people, like for instance, Roy Wood Jr. playing Slow Mo Monroe. And like I loved, yeah. loved the dynamic between the inspector or the, you know, the the police officer guy, Roy Wood Jr. And his assistant, mm-hmm. paid by Aiden Meyeri, who I've never seen before, and mm-hmm. she was Grizz. So it was like these two police officer people, and then him, and the triangle of banter that went between them, like all the dialogue and everything, the jokes. 
I feel like that should be a case study in how to write some comedy because no, it was great. like it was perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, so I think I think his interactions with the supporting cast and those two in, in particular really what made this film. I mean, he himself he he's he's a nice, fun character. Sure, but the interaction with the two police officers I think was great. I think I liked his interaction, albeit very short, with his. Old publisher friend, John oh. Slattery, very fun as well. <laughs> a madman like I yeah. interacted with in that. And then sure. uh, I'm looking for the name, and I know I'm going to remember here in just a second. Um, is it Matello? You talking um, about the neighbor? Yes. Oh, yeah, Annie Mumolo. Uh, Ma- Annie Mumolo. Yeah. She was great. She was really fun and kind of a, a real kind of call out scene uh, at her apartment as well. So again, it's his interactions with this supporting cast, I think, that just made it all really work and click. Um yeah, okay, I agree. I think if if they had positioned Fletch as, you know, even at the end of the film, things are being resolved and he's having a conversation with a girl and she even says, Well, yeah, you're still you're an idiot. Right. And I think if that line, I'm just like, no, but he's not an idiot. He's not an idiot. He's an a-hole. Right. Sure. <laughs> if they had replaced that line and said, Look, right. you're still an a-hole, I'm like, right. Yes, he is. Perfect. I love it. That's that's right. the character I want to have. Right. But everybody kind of talking about him being an idiot. I'm like, I, I, I just you. don't see it. I if anything, he's constantly checkmating everybody mm-hmm. or trying to along the way. Yes, he does miss things. Yes. And, it, and towards the end, he even opts up and just says, Oh yeah, I totally, totally I totally missed, missed that. That. <laughs> that that did not work for me. Right. So I love that. And he kind of had that self-realization. It like shocked him that he was like wrong about this. Um, but I, I get it. He's yeah. not, he's not like an idiot. He right. Know, right. Yeah. So that, that vibe just kind of, it was a little off for me in the film. I, I just, I see. I would have rather everybody just treated him like just a pompous jerk. And just, but a smart pompous jerk instead of just saying, oh, well, he's just a bumbling idiot. I'm like, sure. I never see that in him at all. So anyway, um, other than that, that's really my only misgiving with the film. Um, Marsha Gay Harden played Countess Sylvia Degrassi. Mm-hmm. Thought that part was a little, uh, a little, a little hammy, a little much. It was, but her continuously, because of her like ridiculous yeah. over the top accent, Calling him Flesh yeah. instead of Flesh. <laughs> the, I, I, mean, I laughed every the, single no, time. No, the writing was funny. I just, <laughs> right, you know. I get it. Could we have maybe gotten a, I don't know, an Italian actress in there and and, and not tried to be so stereotypical sure. with it? It was a little, I got you. It was a little much. Um, but where everybody else I felt like was very, very spot on with their performance and very, very good. Hers was the one I thought was just maybe a little, a little overwritten, a little mm, much. Gotcha. Um, but overall, yeah, it was good. I mean, would I like to see more Fletch films with, with John Hamm? Absolutely. I think he's, yeah, you know, he's always been good in comedy. I think his work in in Thirty Rock, especially when he was uh, had parts in that show, or or uh, un, uh, the, uh, the Kimmy Schmidt mm-hmm. um, TV show, he's done Saturday Night Live several times. I mean, he's he's a funny guy. He yes. can play comedy, but yet. He's a good-looking, suave guy as well. So that's kind of a perfect blend for this character. Just and uh, it worked for me. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'd like to see more of it. Um, yeah, I'm on the same page. I think you know, rarely am I really like chomping at the bit for a sequel. You know, <laughs> but yeah, if I heard they were making a sequel to this, I'd be like, I'm going to watch it the yeah. moment it comes out. Now, I will say this: you asked a question at the setup about why is this not. You know, what, what's happened to drop the ball so bad on this? <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I mean, I do know. Unfortunately, this is exactly the kind of film right now that Hollywood just can't seem to figure out hmm. how to make any money from. Hmm. And it's a shame. 
but it's a comedy. Comedies are tough right now in general. Even broad comedies, even big superstar comedies are tough to market and sell. You take this one based off of the 30-year-old character um, that people haven't really been chomping at the bit to hear more from in 30 years. John Hamm, a big star, but yeah. not a superstar. Sure. I mean, he's not He's not going to bring home a a big box office draw on, him, on his own. Sure. And the fact that, like, like we said, this is a very small film. I mean, it's really a lot of people walking and talking and sitting <laughs> and talking. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it's not a lot more to it. I mean, you and I may have a good time with this, but unfortunately, Hollywood's just not figured out how to how to remarket this kind of film to anybody. And also, too, I think it was uh, the fact that it went to Paramount Plus. Is that right? Or Showtime. Oh, no, Showtime. You're right. Showtime, not Paramount Plus. Showtime. So it went to a streaming platform like within a couple of weeks after its release, but its release was also very limited in theaters. It just, yeah, it just, it really, uh, it it didn't do this film any justice, but I I don't, I could say I blame Hollywood, but I blame Hollywood for not figuring out right now how to market any film other than superheroes and horror films. Well, and I, I think the shame of it is, you know, it's one thing when the movie, like maybe the movie's actually been made for like three or four years and they didn't want to put it out, but somebody like, well, we finally got to put it out and they yeah. bury it. That, that I get if the film's supposed to be terrible, but this is actually good. I feel yeah. like it's pretty good. And I feel like in theaters right now, yeah, all you have are the big blockbuster movies and, a lot of people just sometimes want to go laugh and I'm like, well, give them the, give them a chance to laugh. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't I, I will say this. I think this film would have done a lot better if it had been released on what I consider like a more mainstream streaming service, True. like a Netflix mm-hmm. or, uh, even a Hulu or something like that yeah. and made a big splash with that. Unfortunately, Showtime's not exactly the streaming service everybody thinks about, you know, when they think about, uh, subscriptions are getting, and the fact that it was in theaters and then a couple weeks later it came to Showtime, it's like, yeah, it wasn't quite the best release strategy. So if this had been like a big Netflix, like let everybody know about it on Netflix and put it up on that front page when you sure. log into Netflix, I think it would have gotten a bigger audience and uh, probably probably been a better fit for those streaming services. Because this is perfectly one. It's fine to watch at home. Oh, yeah. You know, you sure. don't need to see it on a big screen. It's not, doesn't need that experience. And I think, you know, having seen it now, I've seen it two and a half times because mm-hmm. I was there for the second screening of the foot candle and I'd watched it at home. So um, it's very rewatchable. I will yeah. end up rewatching it because my wife actually hasn't seen it yet and loves John Hamm. So yeah. I'm like, you'll like this. It's oh, good. Yeah. It's funny. So, you know, yeah, I think it, yeah, on a more popular streaming service, I think they'd make a mint because people would want to rewatch it. Yeah. But who, I who agree. Knows? Well, it sounds like we're both positive on Kim Fesflesh. You may even be a little more positive than me, but uh, that's all good. Uh, we both liked it. It's a, I think it's a great piece of entertainment and fun to watch. Uh, looking forward to see if they do more with this franchise going forward. Um, although I would imagine right now the returns wise probably don't bode well for it, <laughs> but it's also not a terribly expensive movie to make. So who knows? Maybe we'll see. All right, Chris, well, that's our two reviews. Confess Fletch is available on Showtime. I believe as of right now and probably still playing in some, some theaters, some places, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, all right, let's take a quick break, Chris. When we come back, we've got a couple of news items to share about some upcoming movie productions, a couple of trailers to share. And of course, Chris and I give our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned to Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative. 
a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. Chris Fry, Alan Jackson with you from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. We just finished up with our reviews of Halloween Ends and Confess Fletch, both uh, continuations of uh, franchises that we found positive on both films. I think that's pretty amazing, Chris. I would not have <laughs> predicted that if you had told me months ago that this was going to be the episode we were going to be doing today and those are going to be the two films, would not have expected to come away with positive reviews from both of us on both films. But there you go. What a world we live in. How, how interesting. So let's talk about some upcoming film projects. So ones that have not seen the light of day yet, but we are hearing news and word about. Let's talk through a couple of those, and then I've got a couple trailers I want to share with you as well. Okay. First up, Chris, um, this is probably one of the most interesting news announcements about a film I've heard in a while. Okay. And I know it's one you, you brought to attention, so I know you're aware of it as well. Uh, are you a fan of the Naked Gun series of films? I have not revisited them in quite some time, but I was a fan when they originally okay. came out. There is a poster hanging in our hallway, actually, like within eyeshot of this <laughs> studio it's of true. the original Naked Gun with Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. who, of course, you know, passed away uh, years ago, I believe. Did he? I'm not sure. We're going to say yes. <laughs> okay. If Mr. Neeson is still with us, my apologies. I'm almost positive he did pass away, though. Okay. Uh, anyway, regardless, that has no bearing on what we're going to talk about here, other than the fact that the Naked Gun, uh, it was a uh, very much in the the vein of Airplane and some of those films where it was a very just over the top comedy. He did pass away. Okay. Yes. yes I, I I figured so. Thank you to the intern looking that up for us. <laughs> um, very slapsticky film, very visual gaggy kind of film. I loved it. I, I've loved, loved, loved the original Naked Gun film. Well, they are making a remake that would right away give me a sour look on my face. uh, No, you can't remake the naked gun. I'm sorry. You cannot recast uh, Frank Drebin at all. You you might've said that about Fletch. I I very well could have known it was going to come out. You know what? (laughs) If you had told me Fletch was going to happen 30 years later, I'd say, Oh yeah, we need somebody different than Chevy Chase. So, so hearing they're making a naked gun remake, I was a little trepidatious. However, here's a few pieces of information that have made me change my view on this. I want to hear your your feedback on this. Um, In the role of Frank Drebin, taking over for Leslie Nielsen, is Mr. Liam Neeson. Interesting last name connection there, but Liam Neeson in a slapstick comedy from director Akiva Schaefer, who you may know from... He's been. He's part of the Lonely Island, mm-hmm. which is pop star, which is Hot Rod, which is Saturday Night Live uh, sketches and shorts, um, making this film now. Most recently, Schaefer was the filmmaker behind Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Which that I was a huge fan of. You liked, mm-hmm. and um, also some of the same writers of that film are going to be writing this Naked Gun remake. Okay. And then Seth MacFarlane is actually going to be involved as a producer hmm. as well. So all that mixed in now together. Chris, what's your what's your take on this? Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think, know. and the, the fact that they've gotten somebody as seemingly left field as Liam Neeson, 
who I was thinking that I'd never seen him do anything funny at all. However, I didn't see him do it, but I heard him being funny, probably unintentionally so, in the Lego movie, because he Uh. does the serious... Lord Bisner, like, you know, he's mm-hmm. like the cranky voice or whatever that comes on. Or maybe, no, he's the cop. Because I guess Will Ferrell's Lord Business or whatever. But right. he's in that movie. And he mm-hmm. plays like a heavy, like, bad guy or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, I'm like, but it's comedy because it's the Lego movie. Um, so, yeah, I can see I can see how it could work, I think. In my mind's well, eye, I'm like, I think this could work. And let's flash back to before 1985 or whenever Naked Gun first came out, the first one. Leslie Nielsen was not a comedic actor. Oh no! Okay, I didn't he was a that. fairly dramatic actor. I mean, okay. he did, he had been in movies for quite a while before. He was like in Forbidden Planet and some yeah, other yeah. stuff. Okay. But I mean, yeah, he was either in some like actiony movies or he was a dramatic actor. I don't think really doing it much comedy. So <laughs> when he was cast for the Naked Gun, that was also kind of a people were scratching their head, saying, "Really, Leslie Nielsen is going to be like <laughs> in a kind of like an airplane type movie?" And yeah, yeah, all that and. You yeah. saw what happened there. It kind of worked, and that became his thing up until his passing, mm-hmm. uh, his style of uh, work that he did. So could this be a reimagining of Liam Neeson as we know him? And I think him coming in with that serious persona may actually be kind of fun to play against because mm-hmm. Frank Drebin in the original Naked Gun was never the the co- – I mean, yes, he was he was always doing things that were funny, but he was never – he was always supposed to be viewed as very, a very serious police officer. Right. That's what made it funny. Right. Is when random crazy things happen. <laughs> so you take that same formula and you apply it here. I think it could work. Hmm. I do really like anything that the lonely Island does in, in films these days. I'm still a huge fan of hot rod. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of pop star. And um, if they can bring some of that same mentality to this, yeah. And really play with Liam Neeson's role and have fun with it. I could be could be okay. And calling back to our discussion of um Confess Fletch, I'm be interested to see if this gets theatrical distribution or yeah. if they're just gonna slam it on a streaming service. Well again, comedies. I'll tell you right now, comedies are tough. If you look at any comedy that's been released in the last couple years, several years, uh, it's very, very few are getting big releases and making money at the, at the theater. They're doing much better online, going straight to it, which is a shame. But um, there's a new Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds film coming out for the holidays, a comedy based on The Christmas Carol, kind of a a new version of Scrooge that's going straight to Apple TV+. Interesting. So comedies are just, even with stars like Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, are still not getting that big... uh, theatrical release right now hmm. so yeah this very well could be a straight to streaming version but that's okay because maybe with a film like this i kind of like to be able to hear the jokes and rewind and play them back <laughs> if i miss them so sure. that may be actually be a benefit to watching this in a more home environment so hmm. all right so that is naked gun coming out uh don't really have a date on it yet um but probably yeah. at least 2024. Or- uh, I would think so. Um, okay. Maybe they'll sneak it up and release it before then. But yeah, just I've just heard about them deciding to like do it. So it's probably been... Well, and, and I'm just getting a couple more notes on this before we move on to the next article. So uh, exact plot details as well as production timeline are currently unknown according to Variety. Gotcha. They also made an interesting note. They said it's also unclear who Neeson would exactly play in the film. Now... 
I think we've all kind of gotten the impression that he's going to play the lead. Huh. And that is kind of what they've all been touting is that he would be the lead role. Whether or not he will be playing Frank Drebin or he's going to be maybe another different character in I the see. lead, I think is maybe more of the question there. But yeah, we don't really have a time frame on this, so we will have to kind of keep our ear to the ground on that one. Hmm. Let's move on to another. God, we're just talking franchises constantly today, Chris. Both of our reviews were about franchise films, loose franchise films, at least in Fletch's case. And then here we just talked about Naked Gun, which could be kicking off another franchise if it takes off. Let's get to the granddaddy of franchises that I don't think you and I have really talked about in quite a while. Hmm. And that is Star Wars. Okay. Okay. The the Mac Daddy, the OG (laughs) franchise, if you think about it. We haven't heard much about the film world of Star Wars it's in been quite a, a while. TV series been a lot of TV. Andor's playing right now. I think there's been maybe three Disney Plus series. I guess two seasons of Mandalorian and one of Book of Both. Boba so Fett. I think that's right. And then you got Obi-Wan. Oh, oh Obi-Wan. And then you got Andor. Well. So right, yeah, right, you've right. had several shows, but yeah, no movies. Yeah. Right. The last movie we had was Rise of Skywalker, yes. episode nine. Yes. And I think that put enough of a kind of sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Everybody's like, yeah, oh, let's just, let's just hold off on the films for a while. <laughs> there were, do you remember there was a time where there was like three or four different film projects all like being talked oh, about. Yes. You had Ryan Johnson's, yes. uh, you had the people who did Grant game of Thrones. were going to do one, mm. all these different ones. And then they all just kind of like got shut down yes. or at least quietened quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, deadline is reporting that after months of speculation, we're hearing, they're hearing from sources close to the project that Damon Lindelof, is directing a new Star Wars film for Lucasfilm. And that uh, Charmaine Obeyed Chinoy has been set as director. You may not recognize her, but she directed uh, the Miss Marvel series for Disney Plus, the Marvel series, which I don't think you saw. I have not. I did watch it. It was good. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun series. And this and is to be a movie, not a series. It will be a movie. Okay. Yes. Lindelof is co writing the project. Um, the script is still being written. Um, but this is the one project I'm hearing of right now that actually seems like it has some legs behind it that could continue forward. Um, hmm. Yeah, pretty much all the other films that were in development got the momentum taken out of them after uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, they focused everything on TV projects for so many years. Um, that said, currently there's a number of films in development, including this one, and Lucasfilm has been pretty clear they want to make sure the next series of films has a story they're happy with and don't see a need to rush out that next franchise. No, not that episode nine seemed rushed at all. No, not a bit. Okay. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, the director, uh, Abed Chonoy, uh, as I said, she did several episodes of Miss Marvel for Marvel studios, but she's also best known for directing Oscar winning documentary shorts, Hmm. saving face, a girl in the river, the price of forgiveness, uh, and she also directed uh, the Paramount's adaptation of Brilliance, hmm. which is currently being developed as a vehicle for ooh, Mr. Will Smith. Um, so she's got some great cred behind her. I think, you know, uh, obviously, I will say Star Wars seems to find really good directors to try to bring to, to the table. Now, the question is just do they actually get to finish and make the film or not? So, well, we'll see. interesting, too, that the thing that gets me, see, not familiar with her work mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I will admit I, I'm getting kind of burned out on series in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, just like, you know, there's so many different series and I just like a movie cause it's over and done with in two hours. 
Um, well, and it becomes more of an event thing where yeah. I think the, 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 the series, uh, it's just, it's a much more muted experience kind of spread out over time. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that interests me the most, because I'm not familiar, like I said, with her work is the person who's co-writing, um, mm-hmm. Damon Lindelhoff, who brought us to help bring us lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that he's on it. Um, and the guy who kind of worked with him on lost JJ Abrams is not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, Lindelhoff also had a lot to do with Prometheus, I believe, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which I was one of my, it's one of my favorite in the aliens franchise. I'll say aliens, the sequel and mm-hmm. Prometheus are probably like my two favorite and Prometheus. Yeah. I like, I think I'm the person who likes that movie the most on the planet. You are <laughs> actually that you're on the poster for it. Uh, whenever right. they promote the DVD release, you, you're, you you're on the back of the poster. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I'm really curious and actually the mix of it sounds like she has, and I haven't seen Miss Marvel, but she's done like a lot of documentary kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, true to life things. And then you add what I'm assuming may be a little bit of a twisty storyline. That is really yeah. interesting. Cause it'd be like, instead of like this flashy aesthetic, it's more of like a mm-hmm. document. Like, I, I don't know that, that sounds very interesting. I'm very, very, very curious. I'll tell you the other thing. Uh, not that I think you need to run out and see Miss Marvel. Cause it, it's fine. It's a fine show. Sure. What really was great about that show, the lead actress, the young, the young girl they have playing Miss Marvel and then her supporting cast, her family and friend are all really, really good in the show. Okay. So that gives me, I think that's important for a star Wars movie is to have some fun characters that you can really connect with. And I feel like people really connected with the characters in her Miss Marvel show. So whether that was because of her directing and kind of working with actors, uh, that's encouraging. So, uh, I think uh, I'm intrigued. I wish we knew a little bit more about what it is. All I know is I'm perfectly happy not having the word Skywalker mentioned <laughs> anywhere else for a while. Um, Agreed. I think that's why Andor, the show that's on Disney Plus, is getting such good reviews from so many people is because it has nothing to do with that original trilogy or three trilogies of films, mm-hmm. um, or at least none of the characters involved. Right. So that's good. That's to show that there is some room to play in this universe without feeling like everything has to be tied to that same core three characters from the originals. So, right. yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that is sometime soon. Again, there's not really a timeline on this either. These are both kind of recent announcements. Um, the only other quick and all, I'm just going to throw it out. I don't even have it pulled up on the screen. So I'm just going purely from recollection here. Okay. Uh, I just thought it was kind of an interesting note. I, since we're in the franchise boat, we're still talking franchises. Right. You already gave your little uh, your little side comments about the Marvel Studio films, and so <laughs> be it. You and I disagreed somewhat on those, but um, if you maybe recall, um, there was a character in the Marvel films, uh, uh, General Ross. Yes. Played by who's the actor? He's passed away. Passed away actor. Um, um, William Hurt. William Hurt. All right. So William Hurt played that character, General Ross, who was the father of Betty Ross, who was in the original Hulk movie, kind of Bruce Banner's girlfriend. Anyway. Gotcha. He has been kind of the, a little bit of an antagonist throughout some of the Avengers and Marvel movies. He makes some smaller appearances here and there. Well, of course, William Hurt passing away. They did announce Harrison Ford is going to take on that role. Mm. So Harrison Ford is going to be in the Marvel universe, which Okay. I mean, I look, I love my Harrison Ford. Uh, 
is this where I want him to be showing up and being a part of? I, I don't know. We'll see. And it'd be interesting to see where they use. Now, Chris, can I geek out just for a minute, though? Absolutely. So in the comic books. Yes. Uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, who is General Ross, okay. uh, actually becomes another Hulk. Nice. He becomes the Red Hulk. So he's a Hulk who is red. Okay. And, um, of course, all the... And he's a bad guy? No, he's mostly good. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's good. And, uh, of course, all the fanboys online are now saying, oh, my gosh, it's Harrison Ford <laughs> going to become a Hulk. I don't think they're going to do that. But I think I think they're using him as more of a connective tissue character that will just kind of show up in different films and be the hmm. the government liaison and, you know, okay. giving them orders or whatever. I don't know. But... Hmm. I always like to see Harrison Ford on film, so who knows? We do have a new Indiana Jones coming up in the next year. Yeah. Um, it's crazy times. Crazy times. <laughs> All right, Chris. Uh, a couple of trailers. Okay. Oh, my gosh. One of these trailers is a franchise, too. I'm sorry. I did not realize that this show was going to be <laughs> yeah, right. so franchise heavy, but every film we've talked about so far has been part of a franchise. It's kind of hard to escape them. I mean, it is. Uh, they released a trailer for... New film called Creed 3. Mm. Now, you and I have talked about, I think, both of the Creed films on this show. Um, we definitely talked about the first one. I'm pretty I sure think we have recommended the second one. I'm not sure I've seen the second one. Oh, you haven't one. seen the second I, one? I'm not sure. I'll have to Okay, well, this has come up in discussion. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, I like the second one. Um, I thought the first one was really, really good. The second one, I felt it's a little bit of a letdown. Um, not quite as good as I'd hoped it would be, but... Here we are, Creed Three. Okay. This is following very similar trajectory to the original Rocky films. For those not familiar, Creed is is all about Adonis Creed, who is the son of Apollo Creed, who was in the original Rocky movies with Sylvester Stallone. Got you. He has himself become a big uh, presence in the uh, professional boxing uh, field and making a big career for himself. Uh, we have Tessa Thompson, who plays in this film, too, as Bianca, his, I don't know if it's wife, girlfriend, I'm not sure of the status, can't remember how the last one ended up. But they have released a trailer for Creed 3. Now, what makes this one a little interesting is that Ryan Coogler was the director of, I think, the first two. Well, definitely the first one. He was the director of the first one, and I just looked it up. I actually did see... Creed too. All right. Did Ryan so, Coogler direct the second one? He did not. Stephen Capel Jr. directed okay. the second one. All right. One. So he did not do the second one. Right. But the director of the third one, Michael B. Jordan, the star of the film. Gotcha. I think it's his first time directing a film. So would you like to watch the trailer for Creed 3? Yes. Okay. I spent the last seven years of my life living out my wildest dreams. Bianca. Rocky, my dad, this is built on their shoulders. So that is the trailer for Creed 3, directed by Michael B. Jordan. Um, Chris, I, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. I, I'm curious and interested in seeing this film for a couple reasons. One, Michael B. Jordan directing. I'd like to see that. Two, well, probably actually I'll make this number one, Jonathan Majors. Hmm. Um, he is in the film as Damian Anderson, who you find from the trailer as old childhood friend who has now been incarcerated for a long time is now back. And there's a lot of animosity between the two of them. And he's also a professional boxer or getting back into that field. 
Uh, I'll watch Jonathan Majors in anything. I think that guy is good. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really like his style and uh, what he brings to the to the screen and just about everything I've seen him in. Sure. So knowing that he is kind of the antagonist in the film, or at least we're led to believe that, um, I'm I'm looking forward to that. So do you have any thoughts in just seeing this? I mean, did whoever made they know how to make trailers yeah. <laughs> so i mean you know if you liked the first two films i think you're gonna like this film because they you know they seemingly because they cut it really well and the music's there and the dramatic shots are there um i will say maybe the one downside to the trailer um is that i feel like i've seen the movie like yeah, i feel like i, I kind of know i know going in oh and not that it won't be good but i'm like well i kind of wish yeah. I kind of wish I just knew there was a Creed through your movie. And I, I, didn't I think know. the trailer went about 20, 30 seconds too long <laughs> and like kind of started to tease where it was going to end up. And I don't like that either. So yeah, I mean, I yeah. could be wrong, but, um, yeah. but it did get me interested in it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it could be uh, worthwhile. So, uh, and I am, like you said, two major things for me, Michael B. Jordan's fest, first directing gig and Jonathan majors being mm. in the film. Jonathan I think those majors, are man. both interesting. Ever since, uh, uh, last black man, in last San black man in San Francisco. I liked what he did in the Loki series, at least mm-hmm. the one episode he was mm-hmm. in on that. Um, I, he's just, he's just, uh, even in the uh, Spike Lee film, what was the five bloods? Mm. Very good. That too. So I just, I enjoy him quite a bit. So, uh, that is March 3rd, 2023. Okay. Up. So I've got a few months on that. Hmm. All right. And then the last trailer I want to share with you, Chris, I have not watched this yet. Okay. And honestly, I did not even know this film existed. So it's until a confess Fletch type until thing? late last night, okay. a little bit, um, not a franchise, okay, but a remake, okay, okay, and it's actually a remake of a film you and I brought to our film society a couple years ago, a foreign film that I did not know they were remaking, and I did not know that they were casting with the lead actor that I'm going to show you. It's an Americanized version. Of oh it? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I think, I, but I haven't seen the trailer. So okay, I, think I haven't I know either. What it is okay. Uh, the film is a man called Otto. Yes, which yeah. we showed mm-hmm. at our film society a couple of years ago. Um, was it Scandinavian film? I believe so. Yeah, based on a book. Based right. on a book. Um, and I, I liked it. That was a good little film. Um, so I wonder why they bothered. I mean, that one was a man called Ove, and this one is a man called Otto. I guess yeah. to make it a little bit more friendly, American, American friendly. Well, because I'm sure it doesn't take place in whatever country gotcha. uh, this one did. Uh, but we have uh, Otto, a crotchety, irritable, and fiercely strict widower, lives a lonely life, judging everyone he sees. When he forms an unlikely friendship with his new neighbors, Otto begins to change. Now, again, we reviewed the original film yes. several years ago. Tom Hanks has been cast as <laughs> Otto. Now, a couple things interesting, right? When I hear this, I'm like, hey, okay, interesting that they're remaking that film. I, I, I mean, it was a fine film. True. I, I remember generally liking it. Yeah, I liked it. Um, but to put Tom Hanks in it as, there again, crotchety, irritable, fiercely strict widower, leaving a lonely life. Uh, I don't see it, but maybe the trailer will convince us otherwise. I mean, maybe. All right. So here we go. This is the trailer for A Man Called Otto, directed by Mark Forrester. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, coming out in December. So this is actually going to be a Christmas Day release. And this is starring Tom Hanks. Let's uh, check out the trailer. Hey, Otto. No. Don't you dare let that little rat dog piss on my walkway again. Ignore him, Prince. He has no idea who's doing that. Well, it was one of you. All right. 
the trailer for a man called Otto starring Tom Hanks. Chris, I heard a lot of groaning during that trailer from you on your microphone there. Is that kind of sums up where you feel about this? Yeah. You know, it's, you can't unsee things. I can't unsee the fact that I've seen the original movie Mm -hmm. and I liked the original movie and I feel like this is just a carbon copy remake and they very much Hollywoodized it. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I was groaning a lot, rolling my eyes. Now, if I hadn't ever seen the original movie, I may come away from the trailer thinking like, Oh, well this seems to be a little bit like sugary, a typical Hollywood holiday movie. But knowing that Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks, it all depends on the script, you know? So maybe it's a little bit more clever than the trailers making it appear. I don't think so. But man, yeah, the trailer yeah. was the trailer was kind of brutal, and it's a pretty predictable from the trailer too. I mean, exactly where it's going to go, exactly the tone it's going to try to strike. Here's the thing: is that you take a film that's made in another country, those they they allow those films to have a little more bite, like mm-hmm. the character, the lead character. Yes, I'm. Sh- I think I remember by the end of a man called Ove. Yes, he had come around a little bit and yeah. warmed up a bit to yeah. a neighbor family. And, you know, yeah. you kind of get a little bit of feeling, but it was never quite to the saccharine level that you know, <laughs> we're already seeing in this trailer oh, of where the characters are going to go. So um, it's just a typical, let's take a really, uh, a, an interesting story or a nice little story. Let's make it as, as genial and compatible to the four quadrants of our, of our demographic audience as possible. <laughs> And uh, let's put America's uh, favorite dad in this in the film is with Tom Hanks. So, yeah, I don't have high hopes for this at all. Tom Hanks has been making some interesting projects lately. Yeah. I will give him that. At least it's something against type for him. I, I think sure. it's going to be hard to look past Tom Hanks and expect him to be really a truly crotchetable, irritable person. But <laughs> right. yeah, we'll see. Hmm. All right. So that's a man called Otto. That's coming out in December. Um, again, didn't really say it said in the select theaters, 25th of December. And then it said everywhere in January. So that makes me think maybe, uh, some theaters in December and then possibly could be online in January. It's right. kind of the, 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 the feeling I've got on that. Hmm. Okay, Chris. Well, I think we're done with news and trailers and a lot of films that are coming up um, okay. along the way. So that has brought us to our last section of the show where you and I both bring to the table a recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out. Um, I hate to say it, but I'm going to be continuing on the franchise chain on mine. (laughs) Okay. So I'm kind of hoping you're not. So maybe give us a little variety here as well. So why don't you go ahead and start us off and break it up for us a little bit, Chris, and tell us about your recommendation for this episode. Sure. So I'm going to recommend something that actually kind of goes against type for me too. Usually I'm strictly movies. Um, And this could be, I guess, if you, it's a series of episodes, uh, a series, or it was only one season, Over the Garden Wall. And uh, the whole thing is only 109 minutes. So it's 10, like roughly 10 minute episodes. So you could actually kind of watch it as a movie. Um, I loved it. It's directed by Nate Cash. It stars, it's animated. It stars the voice of Elijah Wood as one of the main characters. And the story is, uh, two brothers, Wirt and Greg, find themselves lost in the unknown, a strange forest that's kind of adrift in time. They come across different random characters. And the whole goal is, like I said, they are lost. They're trying to find their way back home. 
Um, it's a very seasonal type thing because there are elements of like Halloween and stuff in there. Thanksgiving, Halloween type thing, and definitely a fall type thing. Um, I will now be making this like something annual that I watch every year around this time of year, just like mm. Nightmare Before Christmas, um, because it's really good. Um, it's funny, and uh, it actually has a lot of really good music in it as well. I've been listening mm. to the soundtrack a lot. So oh. that's Over the Garden Wall. It's animated. I think it's would probably be considered PG, so you can watch it with some kids if you want to. I mean, they may have seen it when it was originally broadcast on Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. Um, but I highly recommend it, and I'd never heard of it. I owe it all to my daughter. She mentioned something to me hmm. about it, and she's a big fan of it. Uh, it came out in 2014, but you can see it now on either Hulu or HBO Max. So all the episodes are up and streaming. So that's uh, Over the Garden Wall. Over the Garden Wall. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm not familiar with that at all. So that will be added to my list to check out. So I appreciate that, mm-hmm. Mr. Fry. Now, Chris, my recommendation is one I know you have seen. Okay. The fact that you are not recommending it <laughs> makes me think maybe you have a lesser opinion of it than I'm about to share. But I'm still going to share it regardless because you know what? Uh Disagreements sometimes make for good, <laughs> make for good content online. Sure. Um, we've talked about Marvel. Yes. We've talked about Marvel studio films. I understand the fatigue. I understand some of the disappointment and how that franchise has gone for a lot of people. I will say the last several, I think we even talked about the last several group of films that Marvel's released. I've been very underwhelmed by not feeling like there's a lot there. Even some of the TV shows I feel like have gotten to, just losing some of that, I don't know, just losing a lot along the way, where okay. it's a lot of sameness, a lot of been there, done that, a lot of the same character beats, a lot of the same plot machinations. And it's, it becomes a little, can be a little tiring. I'm looking for something to shake it up and make something new. So when they announced that they were making a special, not a film, but a special, and by special we're talking it's like under an hour long, called Werewolf by Night, this special that was going to be released on Disney plus uh, it was a Marvel studios production and it was going to be directed by Michael Gacciano, who is the composer who has been composing. I mean, he's done music for all the major franchises you can think of. Sure. He's kind of been the closest we've had to the new John Williams, I think in general right. about composing themes for a lot of big blockbuster films and a wide variety of different productions. Well, this is the first time he's actually directing something. Now, Werewolf by Night uh, has been released around Halloween season, uh, specifically for that uh, seasonal time. And it is, the story is following a (laughs) lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using the abilities given to him by a curse brought on by his bloodline. That's the logline for the show. (laughs) I don't think that's the right logline for this show, because I do think even though, yes, that's some elements of what we see here. Sure. The more interesting thing for me about this is that this is a shot and made in a very 1950s hammer style horror film, black and white with a real kind of graininess to the film that's shot on a lot of high contrast and darkness throughout the film. And it is a story of, of monster hunters coming together to celebrate the passing of, I guess, a grand, even grander monster hunter who has a stone of some sort to bestow to someone, whoever wins this hunt that he has set up upon his passing. Right. And Gail Garcia Bernal comes in as Jack Russell, who is one of the monster hunters. 
And for anybody who's familiar with the Marvel comics from the 1970s or so, yes, Jack Russell is the name of the werewolf by night character. He is a werewolf. Um, we also have Laura Donnelly as Elsa Bloodstone, who uh, is a member of that Bloodstone family that uh, who had the, the the passing. So we have about a 50-minute short film, I guess shorter, shorter than feature length film. Sure. About this hunt and uh, following these characters and to see who is going to retrieve the bloodstone. Um, I just had a blast with this. I thought this was really fun. I thought this was a great piece of entertainment. I like the fact that it really had no connection to any other Marvel property where it felt like you needed to see something else or it was any kind of continuation of a character. It was just a fresh little unique style, unique production style of something different. And it gave me a little confidence. Okay. Maybe Marvel can try to produce some things that are a little (laughs) different, a little unique. Sure. And to kind of uh, spice up the formula a little bit. So I had a really great time with this. Chris, I know you saw it. Your take on it. Did you have anything out of this? Um, I I thought it was okay. I think, uh, to me, it you know the only not problem, but I think it could have easily been like something thirty minutes, or I would have appreciated it more if it'd either been thirty minutes or they made it into like more like a seventy or eighty minute film and kind of like made it a little bit more interesting, like plot wise or some mm-hmm. of the stuff that was going on because you have the title, you kind of know what you're getting when you start watching it, so it wasn't like there were any true surprises i guess um but no i did and i do definitely appreciate it for what you're saying in that it was something different mm-hmm. it looked different the acting style was different like yes it was just completely different so i, I did appreciate that about okay. it i will just caution this i mean I, I think it's fun to watch especially around the halloween season time it, mm-hmm. for disney plus it is violent and gorier probably the bloodiest and goriest thing i've seen disney plus release outside of like the Deadpool movies. Right. right. Um, but it's something that they've actually produced themselves. Right. Definitely in the Marvel side of things, it is the the most violent I've seen. So just FYI warning on that for anybody bringing, you know, seeing Marvel on the logo and thinking, oh, cool, we can all family watch this. Um, it is a little, it's rough. But um, I just think it was fun. I, just, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the best way I can describe it. It was a fun 50 minutes. Um, and I just, I really love the way it was just made and put together. And Gail Garcia Bernal, I just think is always a fun actor to watch. And sure. it was kind of fun seeing him play this part. And, uh, and I will say a nice surprise character that I did not expect. <laughs> I'll just say Ted. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, a, a character for people who are fans of some of the older classic Marvel comics. Yes. Ted shows up and he was interesting and fun. So uh, I had a good time with this. That is werewolf by night uh, on Disney plus for anybody who has a subscription to that. So we've got that. And then we've got over the garden wall from Chris, which is on Hulu or HBO now. Max. Yeah. HBO Max. Max, whatever they're called. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so a couple of fun things you can actually watch streaming online right now, especially good holiday season as this yeah. is here coming out Halloween season time. Okay, Chris. Well, I think we are done. We are wrapped up for today. So again, positive reviews of both uh, Confess Fletch and Halloween Ends. We talked about the new, a new Star Wars project. We talked about a new Naked Gun remake. Uh, we played some trailers for Creed 3. We played a trailer for A Man Called Otto. And then we gave our recommendations here at the end of the show. So lots of things that people can react to, Chris. Any questions, thoughts, reactions, responses, 
how can they go about getting those to us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing and sometimes we leave short little reviews. Do us a favor if you like our show, and we hope you do. Give us a star rating, write a review, or share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts from to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. All right. Well, until next time, this has been Foot Candle Films. We will be back next time with another review here in the next uh, couple weeks as we talk about some new releases and some new movie news. Till then, take care. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.